0: hi i'm jen and i'm jen welcome to marginalia pod where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favorite books i would like to begin by
1: acknowledging the guringai and Darug people traditional custodians of the land where i'm recording today and pay my respects to the elders past present and emerging
0: i'd also like to acknowledge mana whenua of te awa kairangi where i'm recording today hello beautiful jen how was your week Oh, it was so busy. Just like such a busy week. Busy, 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 busy. How about you? You have a good week?
1: I had a really great week. Very busy also. What was your what was busy about your week?
0: Oh, I was doing interviews for some new positions on our team. So we're looking to recruit three people. So just interviews all week, which is really intense. Like it really focuses your mind. But I will get into that because that's actually going to be my story this week. Ooh, exciting. Uh, What sparked joy for you? Um, so I had my mates over, my workmates, who I, uh, just my mates, I don't like when people are like, they're just my work friends, they're my friends, but I met them through work, their work, that's the context that I know them through, Um, had them over on Wednesday for a Mighty Boosh viewing night that we have been trying to do for over a year, because we just randomly remembered that Mighty Boosh was a thing, and how bizarre it was that this really, really, really strange program was on BBC Two. Yeah. It just like seems bizarre that that was ever on like mainstream television. The idea that that would get made now is just wild. So um yeah. And we we constantly make old Greek jokes. So yeah, I had them around on Wednesday and we watched the old Greek episode and Nana get in and the one where they go looking for the new sound on the Chandra. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> and yeah, just had cheese and chocolate and lols and a good chat so it was just really nice that we finally got to do it because one of my friends is actually moving to london next week so next week's the last week in the Mm. country so i'm so thrilled that we managed to get this done before she goes yeah
1: the mighty bush is so funny and it is so weird i think you have to
0: be in like a specific frame of mind to watch it with any real enjoyment we all forgot how much how much music is in them. They're like yeah. really musical. Like there's songs in them. It's like very flight of the Concordsy kind of like I feel like they would have popped off on TikTok or Instagram now. Like that yeah. content would have been wild. Like it wouldn't have to be on mainstream TV. It could just mm. be on TikTok. And it's kinda like the Tom Cardi thing, right? Like this yes. weird Yeah. Like
1: surrealist? Yeah. Because yeah. it yeah, is like, so data
0: and surreal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like so low budget. My favorite
1: season is the zoo one. where they're, they're That's zookeepers. the first season. And um, the little mouse in the rave and how they talk about how he's got to like come down. So they're going to put him in like the trance box next. And it's so stupid. And I love it so much because it's just so absurd. <laughs> There's just not enough absurd humor the- in the world. <laughs> and
0: the whole moon thing, like when you are the moon, <laughs> what is happening right now? It's just null old fielding covered in shaving cream, essentially. And all the backdrops are like hand painted and it's so low budget. And it's just, this was BBC2. <laughs> BBC2. <laughs> Weird. Amazing. Anyway.
1: It was, it was, it was a whole other time. I'll have to watch it again. It's been a while.
0: Yeah. And my mate who was round, she's English, so she saw it in England when it was first on, and she's like, how do you people even know about this? And I'm like, I honestly don't know. It was on ABC, I think, in Australia. Yeah. I don't know where it would have been on in New Zealand, but I remember that my friend, Abby, who is in the UK, used to send me the DVDs like, as they came out. So oh that's no. how we watched it, because I've got the DVDs, so we watched it, and I used to get that and skins. She would post them to me from like the UK, and I'm like, that was... 2005, man. It was a different time. Abby is the MVP, I think. Yeah, it was great. And then we actually went, I think it must have been 2009 when I went to visit her, we went to see The Mighty Boosh at the O2.
1: Oh that's so great. What a great and joyful time. So
0: that's spark joy. What's spark joy for you this week?
1: Um, This week I had a really unexpected event happen so I had uh, spoken with somebody to come and build me a front porch and we had sort of fixed for the end of February after my roof had gone on and he called me on Tuesday at lunchtime and said we'll be there tomorrow and Mm. we're gonna start building your porch and I went you what now? (laughs) It's like normally when you have a tradesman you pay like a deposit you agree on the quote and i just emailed him said yeah let's go through let's go for it and then he rang me at like one point in early january like. Still good for the end of Feb. Yep, cool. No deposit. He just showed up. He built it. It took him and his team of two guys Wednesday and Thursday and Friday to completely build this amazing front porch, which is now like a whole other room. It's so beautiful. And a treehouse for my kids, which is so cool. And it is so high up. I was thinking like sort of like a meter and a half off the ground. He built it taller than me. So it's like a proper treehouse, house which is great um and then like and now now I have a beautiful new porch and I just feel so much joy going out there and sitting Yay. on my little porch and yelling at children passing by kicking rubbish into the storm drain it's such a nice oh, nice thing. new porch new roof new gin who this exactly yeah I just and also because my dad's a builder I really appreciate like good carpentry good joinery so I got to spend a lot of time like just really admiring the way all the lines fit together and if you want I will send you some photos I took of like the way that it came together because it looks so cool (laughs) I appreciated the craftsmanship very much because he didn't work to a plan so he was like doing it using the space and like building it as he went
0: Mm -hmm. And so we had to
1: figure out how to make it look good in a really bespoke way. And I was just like, dang, this guy's a pro. So yeah. Amazing. Mad props. He had big himbo energy, but he was a total pro. And I absolutely would recommend him.
0: Love that. Love that.
1: So good. So yeah, just a joyful week. But this week we're reading chapters 28 through 33 of Wayward Son through the theme of curiosity. One of my favorite themes. Um, Do you have a story for us this week?
0: Yeah, so the first thing that I always think of now when I hear curiosity is that lovely line from Ted Lasso where Mm. Ted says, be curious, not judgmental. And I always think of that and I think how valuable that is as a way of living your life and something that came up for me this week because as I said I was doing interviews, so I am on an interview panel with two other people, we're interviewing people for three roles, different roles within my wider team, Mm -hmm. and it's great, like, I'm basically on the panel, not because I have any technical expertise for the particular jobs, just because I'm the vibe checker, (laughs) I'm there to make sure that these people fit the team culture, and they stop hiring weirdos, sorry, no offence. (laughs) Who don't vibe with the rest of the team Because sometimes that's really important And I think people forget, especially managers They just hire people who are really good on paper Mm -hmm. Fine, but if the skills don't align with the personalities And the personalities don't align with the team It doesn't actually matter if that person is really good at their job It actually just doesn't work So you need both yeah, willingness to
1: join into the culture is a huge part of it. And also, like, willingness to learn. Those are way more important than, like, initial qualifications.
0: Totally agree. You, you can teach skills. You can't teach personality traits that you need. And it's unfair to expect people to learn that. If Uh that's not their personality, it's not their personality. They're not going to fit. They're going to be unhappy. The rest of the team's going to be unhappy. It's just not a good time. So anyway, we interviewed all these people. Yeah. And it's really full on interviewing. Like, I am obviously not really a people person. I normally don't actually like talking to anyone (laughs) at work. So to come in and these interviews started early as well. So they were like nine o'clock starts, which for me is unusual. Mm. I usually saunter into the office at ten past nine and then I have coffee and breakfast. And then I start talking to people around 10. So to be there ready to go for nine o'clock is quite a lot for me. And I want to be present. I want to give my full attention to these candidates who are interviewing. I want to make sure that, you know, I give them the benefit of the doubt. I don't want to go in with any preconceived biases, whether I know some of them, which I did. Some of them are complete strangers. Some of them are work histories where you're like, but you're like, no, it doesn't matter. You need to just take these people as they are in front of you because you don't actually know. And you also need to acknowledge the fact that interviews are stressful and everyone interviews differently. And you can't really judge someone on how they're presenting to you in that environment because it's also not a working environment. So there's quite a lot of reading between the lines and like looking at body language and Mm -hmm. assessing, you know, picking up cues and signs and like trying to see how someone's going to fit. So, it's just like a lot of really intense focus, asking questions. I didn't ask that many questions, mostly listened because a lot of the questions were technical around the work that needs to be done. And again, I'm not, I don't do that job. So, I was like, I'll leave it to the experts to ask those questions and I will just ask the little follow up questions where I'm like, okay, but why did you do that? You know, can you tell me about, you know, why, why that? Or if this was the case, then why did you do that and stuff like that? Just to see a little bit of the person behind the decision, I guess. Yeah. So it's just really interesting, and it struck me as the the way to be a good interviewer is you have to be curious and not judgmental. You have to really sit there and be like curious about this person, curious about their history, and just not come with any preconceived ideas about them because you're not gonna get the best out of them if you do that and you're yep. not gonna get the best out of the process if you do that. And there's quite a big time commitment on both my part, on their part, on the rest of the panel's part, to spend two hours with them in these interviews. Mm. And just really try to get the best out of them. So curiosity, I think, is just really important. And it was interesting for me that this was our theme this week because I was just so conscious of the fact that, okay, you need to be curious, you need to be open, you need to be engaged, you need to make them feel comfortable. all These things that don't necessarily come naturally to me. I am a very curious person, but mostly out of my own research or my own back. Like, I don't really want to talk to people to be curious. I feel like I can often read people or I'd rather figure things out for myself rather than <laughs> engage with people for that information. So this was an interesting challenge for me. And yeah, I just, I was sort of curiosity and I'm like, this is a perfect example of when you needed to be open and curious. I love that.
1: Thank you for sharing. I'm glad that you were curious. I think interviewing people is so interesting. It's so interesting to see what they say. And I have a pretty good memory. So when people then tell me something in an interview and then later I've had them work for me and I'm like, ooh, that didn't track, that didn't line up. You know, Mm, I always look for the consistencies and inconsistencies. I really like seeing how people perceive themselves versus how I perceive them. I think that's a really interesting dichotomy. Yeah, yeah. and it's interesting to sit
0: after the interview with the other two, because obviously you go through the interview, thank the candidate and then afterwards you have a little debrief mm. just to be like okay so initial vibe check you know what did you think and to see whether you got the same read on people right. or not you know whether you had the same vibe and I think for most of them they did but also just to see what really upsets people right so one of the interviewers really had an answer that he wanted to people to say. Like, he kept asking this question and people just didn't answer it the way that he wanted to. Oh, no. And, you know, we were at, like, candidate seven. We were interviewing and he still hadn't gotten the answer. And I'm like, do you think maybe the fact that not a single candidate have given you the answer that you wanted, that perhaps the question is at fault? Mm. You know, maybe the question is wrong. If you're not hearing what you want to hear, maybe you're not asking people the right question. Yeah. And he was like, oh, yeah, good point. <laughs> um... And then there was an incident where someone said something about, oh yeah, but I couldn't help them because I had my own job to do. And that really rocked up one of the other interview, what do you call them?
1: Candidates? Oh, uh, interviewers, yeah.
0: Yeah, other panel members, because they were like, that just to me is a, such a red flag that someone's not a team player if they're always going to be like, you know, not my job, I've got my own work to do. And it's just interesting what's going to set someone off and what's not, which is why you have multiple people on a panel, right? So that you can get yeah. breadth of knowledge and good breadth of experience and like opinions. So you're not just making those kind of knee-jerk reactions knee-jerk judgments
1: yeah interesting it's a really interesting process i was exhausting think, yeah oh it is because it's a lot of outward energy like you're trying to suss people out that you don't know you have to interact with the people who you're also interviewing with you have to try and make a decision on the behalf of an organization which you know and i know you've spoken a lot about how your values align more with your organization now but you're still like not it's not a perfect fit so like something you might find out no, really yeah. great the organization might not vibe with. It's a lot of work.
0: Yeah, and I have been quite vocal in the past about some people who have been hired by previous managers who were incorrect fits and actually just had a horrible time, like horrible time in the team, yeah. were really miserable. Was The team was miserable. They were miserable. And I'm like, why did you hire this person? Why have you done this to them? Why have you done it to the team? Mm-hmm. Like, what planet was this person a good hire? Because I feel like if you spent more than three seconds thinking about it, you would have known. Yeah. And so there's been a couple of incidents in that where past managers have hired people where I'm like, no. So I've been really like, I've been gunning to get on a panel because I'm like, no, I must make the decision. Let me do the chief vibe check officer, as I've been calling myself. And um, so it's quite a lot of pressure if I get this wrong. And these candidates that I have, like there are candidates that I prefer that I have gone to bat for because I think they're the right fit for the team. (laughs) And some of them don't necessarily have the knowledge that maybe a manager would like, but I think we can teach them. And I think they're, re- they're receptive to learning, very capable yeah. of learning. So I'm like, I think we need to prioritize team and culture fit because they'll stay around longer. Yeah, 100%. i am tired of these people leaving after a year. So <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Yeah, you
1: don't want to invest energy in getting to be friends with someone who then
0: racks off to yeah. some other organization. What a waste. I'll report back in a year and see if uh, how it went.
1: I am excited to hear how it goes. Uh, Should I read our chapter summaries for this week? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so where we left off, Simon and Baz and Penny had just driven into a dead spot in... Here, it's called a quiet zone, and we're about to be set upon by wares. After a pretty nasty fight, they manage to escape with Shep's help. Their rescuer is a normal with a burning curiosity about all things magical. He offers to be their guide, but Penny shuts him down repeatedly, despite his willingness to talk and help. Once they've ditched Shep outside of Denver, Simon and Baz discuss going home, but Penny gets a voicemail from Agatha, who has finally gotten the vibe that now next is kind of a cult. A scary one. And now maybe Agatha really does need help.
0: Yeah, the thing is, she knew they were a cult all along. She suspected, right? She's like, made jokes about them being a cult. But now she's like, oh, actually, no, I'm genuinely scared. But the thing I found interesting about Agatha, just to skip to the end, because her chapter is the last one of the section that we read. She has this line where she talks about She had her phone, and then when she went back, the phone was gone, and he's moved her into this new room, and Mm -hmm. she can lock the door, but she thinks he's got the key, and so she turns off all the lights because she feels like she's being watched, and Mm -hmm. she sleeps in her clothes, and then she says, it's probably fine. He hasn't tried to hurt me. He hasn't even stood much in my space or touched me with any disrespect. So this is page 177. And I just want to say to anyone listening to this, trust your instincts. Yeah. When you get bad vibe about a guy and you're like trying to talk yourself down because you're like, oh, it's probably fine. He hasn't actually done anything. Absolutely not. Run, run, far away. Because nine times out of ten, your gut instinct is point on. As women, our like we've got good instincts on this sort of thing. You need to trust them.
1: Yeah, and he's. I mean, he's not lying to her, but he's also not being entirely truthful.
0: Yeah, when he's like, your DNA is perfect, you're perfect, but what he wants is her mage blood.
1: Well, and he says, why can't you just accept that I am, like, I am what I seem to be, a a billionaire genius who can't keep his eyes off you. Yeah, but that doesn't talk about motive, that doesn't speak to motive. I also can't keep my eyes off of an amazing milkshake when I'm really hungry. So, like, I'm not going to do that milkshake any good, am I? No, I'm going to demolish it.
0: I feel like that plays into expectations in a way. Like, Mm -hmm. he expects her to behave a certain way because he's, like, a hot, rich man and she's a beautiful girl. So if he just plays it right, this is expectational cues that we can play into, right? Yeah, 100%. Societal cues, rather. But, yeah.
1: He's taking advantage of that and, like, the social niceties around. Absolutely. Around her reluctance to be impolite, which is very Mm -hmm. posh British, I would say. That's, like, my read on it is that she's like, oh, don't make a fuss, don't make a scene um don't bring it up stiff upper lip similar to baz in the way that baz is like let's just talk about this you know um yeah it it really it bothers me that he's got a read on her so quickly and he's pursued her in a way that kind of corners her without her realizing she's being cornered and also that small dish of vitamins it's 100 percent drugs right like they're drugging her yeah I, I
0: i would assume so yeah okay i would not be taking them
1: yeah messed up right
0: Yeah, it's the whole thing is bad vibes, bad vibes, so run away. Trust Mm -hmm. your gut and run away, is what I'm saying. Yep. To return to our lovely theme of curiosity, I just thought, like, so our chapter opens with Simon having a little rant in his head about this goat feeling up bads, which I absolutely love. It always makes me Me lol that he's like, I'll be damned if I, before I let someone feel up my boyfriend. (laughs) So great.
1: I love how their possessiveness when it comes to protecting the other person.
0: But then he goes into this whole thing about America, and he talks about the mage. The mage always said America was a constant threat to the world of mages. So Mm -hmm. this is page 143. And he has this whole, like, rant, basically, the mage, where he's like, Mavericks and terrorists. No sense of community. No common goals. Half of them using their magic to wash dishes. Half of them living like debauched Holtons. I blame the vernacular. Blah, blah, blah. And he goes on, where they live off the normals like parasites, like dark creatures. I just thought this was such a lack of curiosity on the mage's part. Mm. He's just written off this entire country because it doesn't align with what he wants and he even says you know I usually side with the rebels but not in this case America's a failed experiment blah 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 but he hasn't been he hasn't made any Mm -hmm. effort to get to know why America is the way that it is he's just made this decision and then for him to say there's no sense of community no common goals when he and his like takeover of magical Britain has also gone out of his way to kind of dismantle the community
1: I was thinking about this and I will talk a bit about it in my in-depth about how Watford, while letting people in who didn't have, like, as much ability, like, as, as much raw power, it didn't actually accommodate those kids. It didn't actually help them. Um, and this has been kind of a sticking point, right? Like, there was a lot of, like, let them all in, let them in. But then, like, it, it's like inviting everybody to come into your school. And if they're in a wheelchair, being like, well, I mean, I know the stairs are going to be difficult, but, like, we've always had stairs so we should definitely yeah, do it this yeah, way yeah. just just get up the stairs
0: somehow this is exactly what we are doing yeah. I was just thinking the wheelchair example is great because it's like you go to an event and like yeah it's accessible and you get there and it's like on the second floor and the lift doesn't work and the mm-hmm. tables are too close together and a wheelchair can't actually get between the tables but we're an accessible venue It's like yeah. you've, you think you've ticked the box you're like we're so woke, we're so accessible but you haven't made any effort to make the actual content accessible to people yes
1: yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And this is the thing that with Watford is that not only did he take apart a lot of the traditional things, he didn't he, he failed to engage in like the curiosity that was required to change what would have made the school better. Like he didn't actually make it better. He just took away the things that like offended him personally. Yeah. And that that speaks to a real lack of curiosity on the mages part. I was I definitely clocked that as well. That little speech of his. I, Simon remembers so many of his rants and his diatribes. And it's sad that that's what he gets, you know.
0: It's amazing that Simon is still so inclusive and so broad-minded, considering that this is what his exposure was. Like, he's always calling Penny out on things. He's arguably the most accommodating out of all of them. Yeah. And he's the one who's been exposed to this pedagogy over and over and over there again. Mm.
1: And I think it's because he came from outside of it, right? So he didn't grow up in it, and he's able to see it for what it is. And he wants to be part of it, and he never feels like he really is. And now he's, like, the first person to say, but I'm not magical anymore. And Penny goes, oh, yes, you are. Just because an airplane isn't flying in the air it doesn't mean that it's not still an airplane and it's like okay but when you dismantle the airplane and you take it apart and you melt it down and you turn it into a truck it's not an airplane anymore even if it was mm-hmm. one like it's more that it's not like simon isn't using magic that he has he doesn't have it to use
0: yeah it, yeah it's interesting
1: it's yeah I, like she includes him because she loves him but he's a surely surely they will make an yeah. exception for you simon
0: yeah because he, sees that he that's used not to be, case. yeah. Um, on page one forty two, Simon also has this remark about Penny and Baz being hamstrung because they don't have magic, right? And he says Baz is probably the most powerful being here, but he thinks like a magician, not a vampire. And I thought this actually speaks to a lack of curiosity on Baz's part because he's so repulsed by his vampire nature. He's made no effort to really understand it. Mm -hmm. And we'll see that play out further in this book, right? When he just doesn't actually know what being a vampire means. But if he had bothered to learn, it could be really useful in situations like this. But...
1: Jen, if he would bothered to really think about the fact that he was a vampire, he would have to really think about the fact that he was a vampire. I know,
0: I know. And he doesn't want to do that. No, no, no. Because he is a pitch first and a magician and that's all that matters. It's like when you have depression and you're like, I can't be depressed. Could a depressed person do this? (laughs) So funny. I was explaining to my housemate something about depression today and I'm like, it's fun. You should join us. She's like, yeah, sure. I've always heard people describe depression as fun. I'm like, well, sometimes it is. Like, it's obviously you're sad, but you're kind of funny about it. Like,
1: depressed people are the funniest people because we realize how ridiculous the whole thing is. Like, everything is so terrible for no stupid reason. Of course, we're going to make jokes about it. That's how we cope.
0: That's right. I was trying to get her into emo music and she's like, no, I'm like, it's because you're not depressed enough. Join us (laughs) on the depression.
1: (laughs) Well, I think you have a willing pupil in my daughter who keeps telling me she wants to go goth, quote.
0: Cute. Love that for her so Baz's lack of curiosity about being a vampire which we see play out later like so he's been shot and he's like I think I'm hurt I don't really know like I've got a chest full of bug shot it's already healing Mm. and he goes on to talk about it the next day like it looks like it's been healing you know for 20 years rather than 20 hours Mm. or whatever it is but he says he's really he feels lackluster he feels tired and it's like like his undead body is trying to hold on to the un like had to give away a lot to hold on to the un and
1: yeah I love that phrase I love that phrasing
0: and I just, like, no one notices. Like, Penny and Simon just assume he's fine because, well, he's up and walking. Like, yeah. Simon clocks the fact that he's bleeding and he has to wash his shirt multiple times and he's just like, oh, well, he must have torn that skunk's part out or something, right? But he doesn't Jeff, stop to think Jeff that the maybe... Yeah, poor Jeff the badger. <laughs> Simon.
1: <laughs> I mean, fair enough. If you didn't know what a skunk looked like, a badger would be the first thought. Yeah, that makes sense. I just... I just...
0: To get sidetracked by that, but yeah. I love how Simon and Baz just react in these moments when they're like really, I guess, flooded with adrenaline. Mm. Like Simon lands, and what a beautiful that image that is as well. Page one forty-eight. Snow landed on the truck bed, crouching his fingertips down, his wings half folded behind his back, his neck. He looks up at me, Baz. Like it's a beautiful image of him just like falling into the bed of this truck, and then Simon, he, like Baz, immediately reaches out to him, pulls him in, doesn't ask for permission, right, mm. and then he holds him tightly. And Simon's like, he never holds me this tightly. He yeah. never holds me because he doesn't want me to feel like he's stronger than me or whatever. And then he, he just wants to be crushed because we know that Simon enjoys that really hard contact, right? Mm-hmm. So he's actually getting what he needs from Baz in this moment. But then he later describes how he sits next to Baz and he feels like he can't put his arm around him because like the mood has changed, is this still allowed? Yeah. But he's also teasing Baz about stinking, like smelling like skunk. And he's like, you can go. And Simon's like, wild horses couldn't drag me?
1: Yeah, I love that bit too, and I love that Baz is like, "All right, this is my vocation. I will go and fight anyone, any anywhere, anytime, any place for you. If this is what it takes to keep you here,
0: I'll do it." Like, um, it you just guys hurts both me. through some really
1: traumatizing things. Could we maybe? Yeah,
0: not? it just hurts me that they think they need that because they obviously both want that contact and they could have it really easily if they just had a conversation <laughs> instead of being like, "We must get mortally wounded."
1: I love that we get to see so much more of Simon and Baz and like what makes them tick and how they develop in their various like needs and what they actually what actually becomes apparent to them through this process because Mm -hmm. this is the thing that we're really getting we're really getting that Simon's going oh hey he never holds me this tight but I want to be held like this a lot and he pushes in closer like that's a huge thing that was a need he didn't know he had that wasn't being met and now he can change the expectation Mm -hmm. of what he needs and sort of live within that I mean I They're still idiots, but I love this.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, Baz has that realization where he's like, he's—I guess he's no longer a boy. I guess Mm. neither of us are, right? Like, this is this is what makes this book so great is because it is a coming of age, like fully. Like, this Mm. is a transitional novel. You've gone from being a teenager to being a a twenty-year-old, like an adult, a young adult, but still an adult. You know. Attending A new adult, classes if you will, of
1: your own food and clothing.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and you're suddenly realizing what you need and starting to articulate it, which is yeah. such an ongoing process. Like you continue to have this process through your entire life, but we see them going through that, and it's actually just so. I think it's so incredible that you get to see this whole thing and see their internal monologues and how they feel about things and how they misinterpret situations. Mm. Um. I do love also that we get to see how the dynamic between the trio is as well. The way that they're always checking on Penny in the car. Yeah. They're like always checking at her in the cab of this truck, right? And then there's that moment where she reaches through to to Baz when he's in the back. Yeah. And Simon reaches... Uh- Baz reaches back and takes her hand, and I just love I their love that
1: friendship so much. Like I like even from Shep's perspective, when he's like, "The vampire and the witch girl fell into the bed together." Okay, wasn't expecting that, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I love this for them. I love that they're all in love with each other in various ways. I love that it's not romantic in every dynamic, but they all care so much about each other. I love that Penny and Baz have bicker couple vibes without being a couple, like, it just Mm. really satisfies me that they just, they have a lot of grace for each other all the time, but they also, like, won't let up if they think they're right, and they both think they're right all of the time. I just, so much about it I love. I did, I did have a bit of curiosity and expectation where Baz is, like, beginning to realize that Simon was basically a child soldier, and he had to learn to survive. Mm -hmm, I thought that was mm -hmm. a lack of curiosity on Baz's part. Like, he just wrote him off in high school as being kind of like a jerk but he also loved him but then seeing him in action with Penny he's realizing that they had this whole life and like he says it's like they're on their 10th tour of duty which if you track it is like actually their 10th year of doing this together Mm mm-hmm so on page 166, he says, I envy what he has with bunts. They act like this is their 10th tour of duty together. It makes me realize that Simon had a whole life I didn't know about back in school. The maids used him to fight whatever needed fighting, even when Simon was just a kid. And even though mm. his power's gone, Simon's still perfectly comfortable playing the boy soldier. And that really struck me that Baz is kind of realizing now that Simon had like a really traumatic life and he's very good at fighting because he was made to fight from a young age. Mm. And I wonder how that will inform his expectations as he moves on through this like this is a big deal for all of them this isn't just a once-off the mage let the vampires in who killed my mother this is like oh this person that i love was like repeatedly let down and traumatized by events in his past and like that informs him now
0: yeah totally 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 yeah it's horrible poor simon (laughs) i know
1: i just really want to give him a hug a really hard hug and like feed him and look after him
0: I love when, as in book three, when Baz is like, he deserves a pension and a medal, and I'm like, yeah, absolutely.
1: hmm place to live where he can fly.
0: He needs to just chill out. Um, we obviously can't talk about curiosity without talking about our friend Chip, Chef! who is, I feel like, the human embodiment of curiosity. The patron saint of curiosity. Yeah, I also laughed so much on page one fifty four when Penny is like, "I think about what I want to ask him and whether I want to encourage more conversation." Because honestly, <laughs> I make this like I make this decision in my head at work all the time, where I'm like, "Oh, am I going to ask this question? Because this is going to be like conversation, or do I just leave it? <laughs>
1: I'm like,
0: mm. how willing am I to engage with this?"
1: I have to be so <laughs> exhausted to like get to that point where I'm like, I just cannot engage. I'm always the person who's like, "I want to connect so much with you, random person." But sometimes when I'm really tired, I'm like, "Oh no, I I just can't go any further in here. It's going to be super surface level." And I love that Penny is like trying really hard not to be interested, but she's curious too, and this is what gets
0: her. Yeah, she wants to yeah.
1: know what he knows and why he knows it. And why is he so curious without
0: realizing she's also being curious? I love that she keeps asking, why do you know so much? Why do you know Do you know so much? And he just says, by being the sort of guy who follows witches and vampires off the main mm-hmm. road. And I'm like, yes, mm-hmm. that's why. Because no sensible person would have done what he's done, and yet here he is. And he's saved your lives because of it, really. Although Baz and Simon could probably have taken all the wares, but, you know, whatever.
1: Yeah, he was the getaway mm. car. And he stopped them from following them by slashing the wares' tires, which was pretty clever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I Yeah, look, I rate Shep because I think that he is actually just really... He's dumb about how he does it, but he really is curious. He really just does he does want to know everything. He he reminds me a little of um Maslow, you know? How he was mm-hmm. like just so hungry for knowledge, desperate to believe that magic existed and was real. Like it has to be.
0: Yeah, he's just he's so genuine in his interest. There's no ulterior motive, which is what Penny can't believe, right? But he's just asking these questions where they're like, Are you on a quest? Is this a mission? And she's like, if it was a mission, we'd be better prepared, which I also just love as an answer.
1: Yeah, Penny.
0: I do, yeah, I do want to talk about this response that she has where, you know, she keeps going on about how important it is that normals don't know about magic, right? And he's mm-hmm. like, well, of course we know because, you know, do you expect us just to ignore it? Because he's a curious person and there are other yeah. curious person people who are obviously on this forum. And he says, if you were a normal, would you ignore it, right? And she's like, I could never be normal. And then page 158, I sit up again, no, I wouldn't be me. I'm just saying, imagine. It's unimaginable. It's like asking me, how would I feel if you were a frog? Well, I wouldn't be me then, would I? I'd be a frog. Do frogs ever have feelings? He shakes his head like I'm the one being ridiculous. Normals have feelings, I can assure you. We may not look like you, but we might be like you, but we have eyes and ears. We notice things. Mm -hmm. This idea that she's making this comparison between being normal and being a frog. Yeah, yeah as wild, but also that she says, no, I wouldn't be me. Because what does that say about Simon? Yes. She later then says that Simon, you know, oh, you, you, the airplane example mm-hmm. that you used, mm-hmm. but you've just said that because he's lost his magic, he's not Simon anymore. Like, that's what you've said there. Yeah. So how do you reconcile that within yourself,
1: Penny? Well, he's the Shirley. He's the surely there an exception will be made for this person that I know and love. That's what's happening. Like Penny is very based on a lot of prejudices. Like she takes things in and then they are like fixed in her mind as truth. And I think her mom is kind of like this too. It's really tricky. She's she's the white moderate of the world of mages. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. She seems progressive. She's all about knowledge. But she bends the rules because she knows she can get away with the consequences of bending the rules.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: and she feels justified in doing everything but she also doesn't look upon people who are not mages as being like as
0: fully realized as mages yeah yeah and the rules thing is the rules thing's interesting because she goes around being like well you can't break the rules, ship you can't do this there are rules there are rules but all she's done this entire book is break rules One like woman, she is just stealing speak. things yeah 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 left right and center and it's, yeah, it's like the rules don't apply to her. But I do find this whole thing, like, how can you look at Simon and not see what you're saying is making you a massive hypocrite? But you're you're right. It's the classic, like, well, you know, you're different. You know, someone's saying something racist and then they look at their black friend being like, but you're different. You're different. You know, that yeah. doesn't mean you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeesh! Yikes. That's what <laughs> I wrote in the margins of that. Yikes.
1: So yikes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's very yikes. And I feel like, I feel like Penny... I feel like Simon knows on some level these faults of Penny, so it doesn't touch him as much as it could. But I also feel like he's kind of being steeped in it, right? Like he's had all of these other prejudices around
0: him all the time. Well, yeah, yeah. And this is why he has no self-worth, because like, he says to Penny, you know, but I'm not magical. And she's like, oh, you know, whatever. An airplane's not an air, whatever that whole line is. But he has listened to you say things like this all along, where he's like, if I don't have magic, I wouldn't be worth it. it. You know, normals are pointless, blah, blah, blah. Worthless, all these things that he's internalized mm, because mm-hmm. that's what he is now, and he knows that that's what you think of those people. So he thinks that's what you think about him, and you're like Simon. No, I love you, but that's not that's not what he's internalized. Yeah, right. He
1: sees exactly what you think of people who don't have magic, and he no longer has magic. Look, I have a friend who does this thing, and I love her so much. She's an amazing person, but her one flaw is that whenever I mention that, like, I'm fat because it is a fact that I am not a thin person, she goes, "Oh, you're not fat," and I'm like. It makes me feel worse that she says it like it's a bad thing. Like, no, it is literally just like I have blue hair. I am this tall. Mm-hmm. You know, I have brown eyes like these are all facts about me. It's not a bad word. It's just a fact. But she treats it like it's radioactive. And that's kind of what makes me feel worse. And I, I saw this happening with Simon when, you know, he's like, but I'm not magical. I'm not part of that world anymore. So it doesn't really matter to me. And like he's trying to navigate his way through this by being like, Well, I'm not magical anymore. What does it mean that I did all of this stuff? What does it mean that I did have magic? You know. Yeah. But everyone else around him is kind of denying that. And he isn't able to like fully go through it and yeah. realize what he what he
0: can do and what that his experience has mattered. It's like what we said in the last episode. He just wants it acknowledged. He just wants mm. someone to acknowledge mm-hmm. what has happened to him. He's like almost begging for it, but no one's picking up what he's putting down they're all like no 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 you're not a normal you're fine you just yeah. need someone to acknowledge his trauma his lived reality his experience instead of telling him that what he's living is not actually correct I do love Shep's comeback to that in that section at the end where he says yeah. this is page 159 he turns his head completely to look at me we are made of magic without our magic you're worse than normal you're useless and that's so true because of course the magicians get their power from normals. So mm-hmm. if the normals weren't around, basically being batteries, what were they going to do? Nothing. Mm-hmm.
1: It's great. Don't you just love it when Shep points out that they're basically the aliens from the Matrix?
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do love yeah, yeah, Shep so great. Another really lovely moment of curiosity from Shep I thought was on page 161 when he talks about why he gets into situations with creatures and follows them and stuff. And he says, who else will listen? Who else wants to hear their stories? I just think that's lovely.
1: I love Shep. I like Shep is goals. He's like the kind of person that I want to be. I wish I had the energy all the time to just care enough about people in that way. I just love him. He's great.
0: I love that he also gives us a little breadcrumb in this section where he's like, maybe he's one of the next blood or the high planes. Maybe are worried about the next blood. So we get that little sprinkle. And he also does a thing. He also
1: gives us another little hint where he says sometimes they do take your name and they don't return it Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah so good um I have a few I think I think we actually covered all of my curiosity and um expectations but I have some tangential I just want to talk about how much it hurts that Baz is like Simon is flying just above the clouds I want him to land I don't want to lose track of him I don't want to look away from Simon
0: (sighs) like he's gonna disappear when he loses sight of him
1: yeah yeah like he's he's just so scared to Lose track of him, lose sight of him, so that hurts. And then how Simon observes that like it's like America is taking bites out of Baz, taking a swing at him every time it gets a chance. Like so many feelings.
0: Yeah, poor so Baz is really having a tough time. Yeah, <laughs> like and then he gets his suitcase back and it's empty. <laughs> So insane. And it whacks him in the back of the head as well. Like I love that he's just standing there at the forest being like, Excuse me, amazing grace was my idea. <laughs> the hymn was my idea. How come Penny's got on a phone back? That is like peak me behaviour and I'm really into it. Mm-hmm.
1: I, I was like, Oh um, I know is Jen and Jen is Baz. Yeah, it's great. Love him. I guess that makes me the chef in the relationship. Yeah, yes you are. You are amazing. You're a perfect shit. I'll take it. Shep's great. I love that Penelope doesn't want to cast a hymn because it's sacrilegious. Yeah. And I can see how hymns would be super powerful to use as spells, because they are repeated in consistent combinations.
0: Especially that hymn in America, I reckon that is. Oh, everyone! But you knows can see song. how it could be how it could be really capricious, right? Because mm. you, he's like you know really hit found hard, intent matters, because you could probably mess that up real easily. And I love yeah. that Simon's like, are you trying to summon Jesus? <laughs> like, <Simon. laughs>
1: why not? If anyone could do it, it's yeah. Baz and Patty. Um, I also like how Penny is low-key still worried about her mom. And she's like, "Uh, if this works, my mother will be so impressed, she might grant me a last meal. She's really worried (laughs) that her mom is going to, like, disown her. Murder her. Yeah. And her mom doesn't even care. She's like, whatever, I broke rules all the time. How do you think you were able to get into the the dorms? That was me. Cheers. Matali
0: buns coming through.
1: Mm, Was there anything else? So, yeah, I really love that Shep is challenging to Penny's prejudices. And that Mm -hmm, it actually mm -hmm. shuts her up for a while. I think that's like a good thing that she has to kind of reckon with. That was one of my favorite parts as well. I'm glad that you pointed it out.
0: Yeah, I thought that was really important. And I thought it was interesting that he then, in his little section, talked about all the magical creatures that he spoke to Mm. who were like really derisive of magicians in a way. Because they do have this superiority complex and they're not the only magical beings around. So it is weird that they act like they're somehow superior when you would argue something like a magical creature is actually better off like a vampire right because they don't have to rely on magic they don't have to re- like rely on other people in order to be what they are they are but, magic you know. yeah pop off magicians
1: <laughs> it's um it's such a good allegory for like white supremacy isn't it
0: yeah just cuz we've decided that the color of our skin is somehow more important
1: right yeah like that's that's exactly what's happening it's like oh we can speak magic Well, but these other creatures are magic, like inherently, and what they do is part of who they are. And like, how does being able to learn a few magic spells actually compare with
0: your entire being functioning as a magical, you know? Which is why I find it so interesting that Baz, like some magicians do have this innate ability to use magic that is separate from speaking. Like the fact that he can summon fire without really thinking about it, right? And Agatha summons fire later as well, but she does have to concentrate and like cast a spell. For for Baz, when he talks about summoning fire, it's almost like it's instinctive. Like he talks about it being really easy. Mm. It's not like he really casts a spell in his mind or anything. It's not like unspoken, wandless magic. It's just something that he does, which makes me think maybe somewhere in the pitch line, there is a little bit of magic creature in there. You know?
1: That would make sense. Yeah. Maybe all of that fairy imbibing did some Mm -hmm. genetic work. We don't know. Unicorns, or like, what's that? What's the fire like? Gins, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, they're they're
1: typically associated with fire. My my Middle Eastern mythology is real shaky, but I'm good on like the British Isles critters. I've really focused on Catherine Briggs folklore, so that's why I know all of those magical critters, but not any (laughs) other ones. I think I had one more. I can't. I like it just popped out at me as you were talking. And oh, um, when Simon killed the goat guy or whatever he did it the same way that the girl tried to kill him at the ren fair by taking the wand and Mm. using it as a weapon so i just want to point out that simon's actually quite smart and very adaptive and an incredible fighter and he takes things from his environment takes them in and then uses them
0: which is fantastic so yeah he's very intuitive he's very it's a he learns on his feet he's a quick thinker I love that he says, I would have ha- maybe I would have had better luck with my own wand if I used it like this, which is just really funny to me. But he's also like, I don't know if I actually killed him. Do they even have windpipes? Unclear. Like, great. Love that. <laughs> he's so blase about it. <laughs> just like- and I actually love, that's reminded me, I love how critical he is of Baz in that moment where he's like, Baz could have snapped him in half, but he didn't. He's just like, come on, Baz. If I had your strength, I would be like cleaning up over here.
1: Yeah, you could be sitting down, putting your feet up. Yeah, I yeah. So Simon is very good at fighting, and I, I you know you were talking about the innate magic. He could always summon the sword when he had magic. He didn't need a wand mm-hmm. for that. He would just say the words and hold his hand over his hip. And I wonder if that was because that was his innate
0: ability, protection, doing what was right, and and also because he was the mage's heir. Like this is the whole thing about only the mage's heir can summon it. And yeah, okay, the mage major is heir, but no, he was legit the mage's son, right? Yeah, so, yeah, know. yeah
1: something about the way you were talking about you know baz having this innate magic and and the fire being such a part of him and i was thinking well this the the protection is part of simon that's what he does he's the protector he's like the guardian of magic yeah whether or not he can use it or see it or experience it that's what he does he he fights to
0: protect it absolutely oh god okay (sighs) <sighs> All right. Well, did you have, if you were through with changing tour, did you have a in-depth marginalia for us today? I do. I'm going to rabbit on a little bit. Sorry. Ooh, love so it.
1: on page 154, um, this is Penny talking, and she says, some mages never cast big spells unless they absolutely need to. That's what the mage taught us. Save your magic for defense. But my mother taught me to cast big spells every day, to be bold with my magic. Build up your lungs, she'd say. Build a deeper well for your reserves. Train your body to hold more magic and carry it. Um, so this was a curiosity for me because this set of instructions is really in opposition. Like both sets of instructions make sense to me, but they're completely opposite. So one's saying, don't use it until you need it. Like it's a finite precious resource. And the other one is saying, use it all the time so that you're practiced and prepared and you can use more. And I was really curious about why. And I had to think about the way that magic works. And I think that both are right, but for different reasons. So what it reminds me of is invisible illnesses. So... We have a mutual friend who has chronic fatigue syndrome. And so, like, I'm really familiar with spoon theory. And I'm kind of like an edge case, borderline spoonie myself. Like, I'm not really a spoonie, but I'm also not really not. Like, I actually do have to think about it often enough, so it probably does count. If you have to think about your spoons, you probably are a spoonie. But I just don't feel like I'm sick enough or whatever. Um, But it did really resonate with me because I was thinking about, you know, not using my energy and, like, how to ration it and, like, Oh, you know, I probably better stay home and just chill out today because I know I have like two big days in a row and our friend who's got chronic fatigue syndrome has to do this and exercise is like the worst thing you can do when you have chronic fatigue. So like really don't use it until you need it. And so like the mage treats magic a bit like it's spoons, but then you have Metali who who treats it differently and and she like her assertion is like, "Oh, it's like training." Like like you're running or something. And you and I have both run and we have both trained to do distance running. So it's a bit like, you know, building up your strength and retaining that strength and, like, doing other conditioning things to keep your strength going. Um, that's what it's like. So, you know, Metali's saying to Penny, like, use it daily. Be bold with it. Just keep working on it and you will get better at it. You will be able to run farther, basically. Mm-hmm. So just maybe, like, consider the, the nature of magic for mages or, I guess, speakers. Penny, I think, is just a really good runner, right? Like, she's just a natural runner. Agatha can hold her own in a foot race, but she doesn't enjoy the training, so she avoids having to run. Uh, Simon ran a marathon, and I I don't know his legs fell off. I don't know. But, like, it made me think about mages (laughs) who struggled, like the ones that Davey was trying to accommodate before he became the mage, like um, Gareth with the belt buckle. Um, They didn't have the accommodations necessary for Watford to be a place of genuine learning because it was a school built for ultra marathoners. And it then made me think, I wondered if in the U.S., like, those kids who grew up in homes where magic was part of their lives, but like, because it was decentralized and their parents could be as powerful or not powerful, they were simply taught by their parents. And like their parents would maybe have a vested interest in teaching them because they're their kids and parents usually care about their kids. So like the accommodations would be built in which would make it a different Mm. educational experience entirely. Like you learn at your own pace and you learn from someone who like gets you maybe. And it's a little better than this like formalized educational environment where you're expected to be able to like run. Like you don't need to do that, but like at Watford you kind of did have to. Yeah. And so I, I thought maybe there were no amount of reforms that could, that Davy could have done that would have undone hundreds of years of tradition to reward that stronger magical talent. And the accommodations just weren't considered. They weren't there. So I think going forward, I'm going to hold this dichotomy in my mind, especially the further we on we get in this book, because this book is great for, this whole series really is great for exploring the nuances of these things in our own lives. Like this is a fantastic mirror for everything that we experience on a daily basis. These things can both be true. Like magic can be a spoonie thing and magic can be a muscle that you need to strengthen, but it does depend on the person and it can't be unilaterally applied. So I just want to look for those things, the things in my life that are true at once. And I want to make sure that I'm recognizing that they might be directly oppositional, but they're still true.
0: Yeah. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. That's really made me think of my privilege, I guess, because that wouldn't even have occurred to me, reading that. What I always thought reading that bit, because this was actually going to be my tangent, my in-depth as well, but I've got another one I can do. What I've always thought with that is that the mage says, save it, But I always thought that was nefarious. I thought he wanted people to think that their magic was finite. He Mm. wanted people to think that they couldn't use their magic. Because when you are a dictator, you want people to feel powerless, really. That's how you stay in power. So he wanted to rein that in. So he tells people these things. And then because they're not practicing, they do run out of magic. So they believe him. But Mitali's like, if you just train, of course you're going to have magic. Like, you know, it's a muscle. It made me think of when I did my writing workshop with Maggie. And she was like the brain is a muscle you have to train the brain to write every day it's just like any other muscle in yep. your body right so you just have to train it you can't expect to start cold basically so of course if you don't train your magic muscle you're not you're going to run out of magic so that's yeah. why she's like do it often do it big you'll have bigger reserves but i also realized that for me that would be to me makes perfect sense because I'm like, of course you can do that. Of course you can train your muscles. Of course if you put effort into mm-hmm. it, you're gonna read. You're gonna be able to do that because I don't have constraints. I am not a spoonie. I don't have like I, I don't have to think about anything. What I do when I want to do something, I can do it. I don't have anything that holds me back in a lot of ways. So I don't think of it from like a neurodiverse point of view. I don't think of it from a health point of view. The only thing that holds me back is my mental health. <laughs> That's but, that you know, counts yeah. though.
1: But like you you can you can recognize you've had times in the past right where like you just can't do the thing and you have to decide what are the necessary things you're able to do right like maybe you can't socialize with five people this week you can only really do one interaction and that's like the necessary thing which is work right
0: yeah but because it's that's a because it's thing. so I know but because it's not a permanent fixture in my life it's not something I have to really manage on a daily basis it doesn't occur to me so I'm just like coming from Itali, which is her flaw is that she just assumes every and Penny's flaw, mm-hmm. they assume everyone's like them. So the fact that you know, of course, you just need to work harder. Have you, you trained just need to train yoga? harder? <laughs> yeah, like have you just trained harder? You'll be fine. And it's like that is a thing that I have to remember when I when I say things or make decisions. It's like actually, not everyone is starting from the same position, so the same advice can't apply to everyone. Which is why your point about it actually both being true. It's correct because for some people, yeah, you can just train to hold more. But for other people, that's simply not going to be the case ever, and that's not a failure on their part. Mm. It's just we live in different contexts.
1: And like for Agatha, she doesn't necessarily want to have to do that training in an ongoing way. Like she's not interested in that. It's not something that yeah. appeals to her. But she can do it. She's capable. She's just like mm, she why just would doesn't I?
0: want to. Yeah. yeah,
1: I get that. Thanks for enduring the rabbit hole of that. I was the guy from Always Sunny with a red string.
0: (laughs) Oh, you were absolutely fine. It was totally made sense. It was fine. Okay, phew. Okay, so I'll do my backup marginalia then. In-depth marginalia. Uh, So I wanted to talk about, for my in-depth, that section I read about the frog. Yes, thank you. I love that. So page 158... Page 158, Penny, you know, the the context is that Shep is challenging Penny on why she thinks normal should not know about magic. Why can't you just Mm -hmm. put yourself in our position? Because he's already recognized that she's a curious person, right? So he's Mm -hmm. like, well, just think of it from this point of view. And she says, it's unimaginable. It's like asking me, how would you feel if you were a frog? Well, I wouldn't be me then, would I? I'd be a frog. Do frogs even have feelings? And I wanted to also point out, because Shep then says... Normals have feelings, I can assure you. You May not be like you, but we have eyes and ears. We notice things. And then on page 164, he's trying to talk to Simon. He's trying to get into Simon's, like, good graces, I guess, because they're in the motel now. And he says, page 163, actually, I want to know whatever I can. Why are you here? Are you friends? Are you a team? A family? What are you? I've never seen something like you before. And Simon says, Like, I'm going to tell all my secrets to someone who calls me a something. I, I think this is curiosity because Ship is an innately curious person. He wants to understand. He wants to know things. He wants people to be open-minded as well. Like he wants Penny to see it from his point of view, right? Yeah. He wants to be on the same level and everyone's just curious and great about things. And he kind of expects that that will be a get out of jail free card because he is just curious and he is mm. just nice. And the fact that he is so, he stumbles into that with Simon by calling him a thing. Yeah, And he apologizes for it immediately, but he has done this. He has fallen to the same trap that Penny falls into. He has come at it from a preconceived notion in a way, because he's so curious, it's sort of removed the, the personal element from the yeah. interaction, because it's become about knowledge. It's not become about the person in front of him. And it reminded me of a Martin Luther King quote, actually. So in 1964, Dr. Martin Luther King delivered an address at Cornell College in Iowa, and he said... I am convinced that men hate each other because they fear each other. They fear each other because they don't know each other, and they don't know each other because they don't communicate with each other. And they don't communicate with each other because they are separated from each other. And that's what we see in this interaction between Penny and ma- like ship majors and normals. They're separated from each other, and there is a fear there. Like the ma- the magicians fear the fact that the normals can't know about them because then they'll take advantage of them but they also know that they need them in order to yeah. do what they need to do. So this is this like kind of fear-based system, which is exactly how white supremacy works yeah. as well. It's like based on fear. And then you have this this need to overcome it through communication, but communication can also go wrong. It's not like something that fixes everything and we see that with Shep and Simon. Like he's trying to communicate, but he's done it in a way that's actually very alienating to Simon and it really hurts his feelings in a lot of way because he's struggling with that as well. Yeah. So, you know, there's no right or wrong way to do these things. I think we have to approach, going forward, I guess we'd say, we have to approach these conversations with grace because they are fraught and they are very difficult and they're never going to be easy conversations. But Shep is not... A bad person for doing this. He's made a mistake. He apologizes straight away. That doesn't negate the fact that Simon has been hurt by it. Yeah. But Simon remains open to, you know, ship after this. And when you are curious, Ted Lasso, be curious, not judgmental. If you're coming to it with an open heart, most people will forgive you when you make a mistake. You shouldn't be afraid of not engaging with other cultures, things you don't understand, just because you're afraid of making a mistake because you're not going to learn more about it. And if we don't learn more about the things we don't understand, we're never going to grow and evolve as a species to come to a place where we're not judging each other. So yeah, you're going to make mistakes, but just own up to it. Be willing to acknowledge that you've hurt someone's feelings. Don't get defensive when you've done that. But yeah, stay open. Be curious and not
1: judgmental. And I think on the other side of that, I don't know, I always think of Hamlin's razor, like never a tribute to malice, that which is adequately explained by ignorance. Sometimes mm. people just don't know. Sometimes people just don't know. Like I could not have told you anything about ADHD other than hyperactive little boy before I started researching it for my daughter and then found out I had it myself. It just did mm. not even occur to me that I had it, even though my mom was diagnosed as a child. I had no idea. And like a lot of the things that I'm sure I have said and done over the years could come back to haunt me, you know, in this age of cancellation. But I honestly didn't know. And I have to reckon with that. And so that's why when people come to me and they're like, what do I do in this situation? I'm like, all right, what do we know? What, what can we figure out? And what don't you know? Like, I need to know what you don't know so I can help those, you answer those questions, too. And like, that's not my job. Like, no one's entitled to the help of others. But if you can give it you know try and approach people as if they're asking you a question in good faith and not like they're trying to catch you out or annoy you because i feel like that's something that like society is really bad at at the moment we just want to catch everyone out mm. we want to be righteous about stuff there's not a lot of generosity or grace and it's really sad be nice to each other
0: i will say i think that's being a chronically online person mm. i think that's a chronically online problem i had a really interesting conversation with someone on friday actually at work where he came over to me to talk about something and i said made some throwaway comment and he's like wow I didn't realize that was a thing and I'm like actually you know why because you are not chronically online normal people do not care about these things yeah normal people actually don't care and I'm not saying that's either good or bad like whatever we do need to care about things but for some of us who live a lot of our lives online we get really into the nitty-gritty and we have to remember that people who aren't like that who are just normal people they're not bad people they just don't know and that's actually I I think it's great like I wish I knew less sometimes (laughs) oh yeah for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, well, who would you like to spotlight this week? I'm again spotlighting Baz because, as Simon says, and as you quoted, it's like America's taking bites out of Baz, taking a swing at him every chance it gets. I just—he's so hurt, and like no one's asked him if he's okay. No one's checked on him. They're like, "Oh, he's had blood. He'll be fine." Like he is just going through it, and he's putting up with it because he just wants to be close to Simon, and he cares about Penny and whatever, and he's just trying to get through. But oh my gosh, it just hurts me how he is just really going through it. So yeah.
1: I don't know if it helps, but Simon is looking after him in his own way. He's making sure that he's, like, breathing and hunting and getting enough food and stuff and making sure that he sleeps, like Simon takes the watch. And
0: and clinging to him as well. Just like he did at the end of Carry On when he wouldn't let go of Baz after the mage died. But, you know.
1: Okay. Um, Who would you like to spotlight? I'm going to spotlight Shep. I really love his uh genuine missteps here which we just discussed i love that he Mm. is just kind of a a bit of an idiot about it like he keeps saying the wrong thing to penny mostly because penny's looking for reasons to ditch him and steal his car and spell him six ways (laughs) to sunday but i do love that he's like also genuinely interested and he admits to that at one point he says like it's killing me not knowing anything about you like i am literally dying of curiosity here (laughs) And I super relate. So I, he's also just a good person. Like, he could have just bounced. He didn't have to stick around and try and get them out with him. He could have just been like, right, F that S, I'm gone. But he stayed. And he, like, stayed and tried to do the right thing and be a good person. And and maybe he has ulterior motives. He doesn't want to know about them. But I think also he's just kind of, like, a good person. And I, I love that. So pretty cool of him. Hmm.
0: He is great. I didn't think you would spotlight him, so that's why I didn't bother. <laughs> so, <I'm> like,
1: <laughs> I just love him so habit. much. He's so he's so interesting. Yeah. He's like interested and the best
0: kind of person, really. Yeah, and he does save them, which is great. So yeah, love that. Mm, absolutely. Did you have any homework for our listeners? I certainly
1: do. So this week I would like to recommend the show We Are Lady Parts, uh, which I basically binged in one sitting. Um, you've watched so that, good.
0: Haven't you? yep, it's so yep, good. Yeah, so good.
1: Twice. I knew it would be fun and I knew it would be funny, but I didn't know that I was going to cry because of Syrah like three different times. Like, Syrah's story was the hardest for me in a lot of ways, but I just love her. Your Honor, I love her. I love her. I love how angry she is. I love how she's a commitment phobe. I love her haircut. I love her jeans. Everything about her is fantastic. So, and and like also, I love Amina's mom. But yeah, the whole Amina's mom is, is
0: so good.
1: <laughs> <Isn't> she's <laughs> great. Love her
0: so much, and she's like, if you just talk to me, I wouldn't have to go through your rubbish. Like it's so funny,
1: like a, like a raccoon, a weird raccoon. I know it is. Her dad's just like, yes, yes, okay, none taken.
0: I, actually. And what I really love is that she doesn't really understand why Amina is so religious, but she's like, oh, whatever. (laughs) Yeah, she doesn't care, but she's not like negative about
1: it. She's like, yeah, all right. So that's great. And then also, I have been listening to podcasts all the time when I'm knitting or sitting and waiting for my children to do their various after-school activities, and this week, I've been catching up on Pod and Prejudice, which is a podcast where two friends read a book together and talk about it. I mean, what a premise. That is just <laughs> the best kind of premise. So the the premise of their show is that Becca has read all of the Jane Austen books, but Molly has never read any of them. And she's like coming into it fresh. And so Becca doesn't give any spoilers away. And like I also really love Molly's predictions because sometimes I'm just like, she's so close. And then other times I'm like, wow, that's a whole other. I did not see her making that link. <laughs> um, but it's really fun to be in on it. And so I really recommend it, even if you don't like reading Austin, because it's like two friends talking, which is totally my jam. And they're covering Emma this season, which I normally don't like. But um, I really want to read Emma again. And that's not my usual experience of anything to do with Emma in general. So Mm. I'm really loving that. Uh, How about you? Do you have any homework for our listeners this week?
0: The only thing I've really got to recommend is we, my homie and I, watched Wakanda Forever. Well, we watched Black Panther and then we watched Wakanda Forever, which was really interesting because I somehow missed all the shorts for this, so I actually had no idea what what was going on. I'm like, why are there blue people in the sea? I'm like, is this Avatar? What is happening? But this obviously <laughs> came out before Avatar, so that's fine. But it's just so interesting to me how... The Black Panther films do this really great job of showing a culture holding on to their history, holding on to their culture while still being technologically advanced. Like mm-hmm. it's the idea that when you are a technologically advanced society, you have to get rid of all your history and all your past and this this I think it's so valuable to see this in the cinematic scope. That that's not the case and of course, you know, I grew up in Africa. So I do love all the African vibes in it. I love that we get to see various black people living their best lives. We get to hear various accents. We get to see various cultures. It's just so refreshing to have that ver- like on screen mm. which you know people have spoken about ad nauseum. And I actually really loved that in Wakanda Forever we get another culture represented in a way. So it's just this idea that Suri in it as well embodies our theme of being curious and not judgmental. She wants to learn because she's always curious about things and she wants to learn and understand this other culture. She's not dismissive of them straight away. Which is, I think, really important. Something that we can all learn from. So yeah, if you haven't seen it, go see it. It's great fun. Oh, it looks fun. Okay, well next week we'll be reading chapters thirty four to forty through the theme of heartbreak. So that'll be Super delightful. Fun <laughs> oh we could be doing it in the beginning of
1: anyway the wind blows. So listen, we're really saving you guys, okay?
0: Well, I mean, we'll probably revisit it then, so <laughs> don't make promises.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much, Jen. I had a great
0: time. And I'm glad that you were able Me to get your too. house painted today. Thank you. Thank you for doing it later. I really appreciate you. Anytime. We've got a cyclone coming on Monday, so i gotta got to have the house waterproof. So, yeah, Super thanks. fun to have a cyclone on the way. Oh my gosh. Uh, my kingdom for some precedented times is all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Alright, all right, well I'll talk to you next week. Alright, see you then. Bye. See Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. Marginaliapod is written, edited, and produced by us, Jen D and Jen V. We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to hello at marginaliopod.com, check out our Instagram, or maybe dash up a quick review. You can also subscribe so you never miss an episode. Our music is by Scott Buckley, and the logo artwork is by Laura Cato. You can find detailed show notes for each episode and much more at our website, www.marginaliapod.com. Special thanks to all the people in our various communities whose love and care sustains us. Without your support, we would be very sad little critters. We appreciate you. And to you, our wonderful listeners, thanks again for being here. We love spending this time with you.